Well, listen, we've been in Galatians, and it's been a really good study. We've enjoyed it. But before we uh, really jump into that, I don't know if you really knew this or not, but apparently I have some really filthy rich family. I mean, just obscenely wealthy family. Because I received an email not too long ago. And it seems that I'm a long-lost relative of an extremely wealthy family. (laughs) I was so excited. And all I need to do is simply verify my identity. So according to this email, all I need to do is send my bank account number with routing and my address. Huh. Do you guys have the same relatives? So today we're going to be talking about inheritance, and we're going to, but before we do that, I wanted to go over and to think about quickly the last few weeks as we walked through Galatians. Uh, The very first week, I dropped this really bad grammatical statement, and it says this, basically, it's Christ we lose when the gospel is added to, when we add things to the gospel, when we add things such as evidence of salvation and all of these things to the free gift of the gospel, it turns it then into a transaction, one where we have to give out a payment in order to receive. And that's not the way the gospel works. It's Christ we lose when the gospel is added to because the gospel is Jesus plus nothing. And then we went to the next week where we said, if the gospel has not changed you, you're doing it wrong. And I don't know how many of you were challenged by that statement or how many of you were slightly offended that I said that. But if you have not been challenged to change many things about your life, about the things that you believe, about the way that you grew up, about the way that you read the scriptures, if you have not been challenged by the gospel becoming more and more evident in your life, then you've been doing it wrong. If you have held more tightly to legalistic tradition or tendencies, or you've decided that it's only this way and only this way to worship Jesus, then you are doing it wrong. If you look down your nose at someone else because they worship different than you, you're doing it wrong. And then we learn that we never leave the gospel behind. We never leave the gospel behind. You recall we we had this image of the tightrope walker. Right, and he was going across Niagara Falls. And, and what, we, what we found out is that really it's about this, that we don't have the skill, the balance, the ability to make it from one side to the other without Jesus. And that is the, the, the core of the gospel is that we can't make it to be accepted by the Father without Jesus bridging that gap because we never leave the gospel behind. Because you remember You remember that moment where the gospel became so true to you, the moving message of Jesus and who he is and what he has done for you, that moment where you recognized that you had sin that separated you from God and that Jesus was the one that paid that sin debt. Do you remember? Do you remember where you were? 
Do you remember who you talked to next? Do you remember how you responded in faith to Jesus? Because Jesus is the only one who can take you to our Heavenly Father. And as we've been walking through Galatians, we've really figured out that there's a potential that I've hit legalism pretty hard, right? And that's the case, because that's exactly what Paul was doing in his writing to the church in Galatia. He was hitting the legalistic tendencies of the Judaizers pretty hard, because one of the tragedies of legalism is that it gives the appearance of spiritual maturity, Think about what legalism does. It sets you up as a person that looks like you have everything together. You have this many verses memorized. You have this much uh, attendance. You give this much money, and you do all of these things, and you've created this image, this appearance of spiritual maturity. But what Paul tells us and what we will see in the, in the passage we're looking at today is that this idea of, of putting all of our stock in the work and the things that we do, it actually takes us up as believers back into a second childhood of our Christian experience. And you say, well, hold on, hold on, pastor. I'm pretty sure that we want to grow, Right? And, and, and if we want to grow, then there has to be some sort of a method. And as last time I checked, if, if we want to grow and there's a method to grow, then that means that I have to work the method in order to do that. That sounds a whole lot like legalism, right? But here's the problem with it. When we place our faith in the things that we do as a method of our salvation, we've missed the point. We should want to grow because of our love for Jesus. The Galatians, they wanted to go forward and grow in their relationship with God, but they began to go about it in the wrong way because there were people that were speaking into their lives these things that really detracted them from real growth in Christ. It's not too different, truly, than the various legalistic movements that we see around the world. So here's the question we need to ask. What if our motives are right, but our methods are wrong? Paul's been driving that message home for the past three chapters. If your motive is right that you want to grow in steadfastness, you want to grow in maturity in the Lord, and your methods are wrong, but your heart is right. He said, listen, I love you more than I can ever tell you. In fact, as you, as you think about the, the Galatians and their place in Rome, Paul's whole job, his whole scope of his ministry was to go to the people that were the Gentiles, the one that were, ones that were outside of Judaism. He loves them. He doesn't want them to fail. He doesn't want them to shrink back in their, in their pursuit of Jesus. The Judaizers came in and they said, listen, we know Paul. And Paul missed a pretty big point of why and how you grow in godliness. 
They said, listen, let us show you. And they opened up the books of the law, and they said, listen, this is the way. And you do these things. And then we have these 10, and then we added a couple hundred more. But then there's a couple hundred, hundred, hundred more of the ones that really, they're just spoken. They're just oral tradition. They're oral laws. And, and we'll tell you how to live those. The Judaizers said the laws will make them better Christians. But Paul said, actually, that's not true. The old nature of the law, it had a certain attraction to it. You could do specific things, and you could, of course, we did Sunday school, and then we did church service, and then we came back in the afternoon for discipleship training, and then we had Sunday evening prayer service, and then Wednesday, we had Wednesday night Bible studies, right? And that's really the way that we, we went about our life. And that was how we continued to know and understand and to, to learn so many things. And I'll tell you, I grew in knowledge. I grew in my understanding. I grew in the, the ability to recite verses and to do so many things. But when we measure our faith by the external results, we've missed the point. We've actually missed the point of what Jesus said. Listen, Jesus said that I didn't come just to make you obey more laws. I came to capture your heart. People began to measure their achievements and their accomplishments. And you know what it led to? Pride and arrogance and judgmentalism. And all this time, they thought that they were going forward. But Paul puts the brakes on it and says, listen, they're actually going backwards. You're actually regressing. You're not moving forward in faith. You're going back into your childhood. You're doing so many things. You're doing so many things that look good on the surface. You know, you think about when Jesus talked about the Pharisees, he called them blind guides. He called them whitewashed tombs. He talked about how they would only clean the outside of the cup, but the inside of the cup was dirty. And you think about those things, and you're asking that question, well, if it's not about the things that I do, then truly what is it? Because I want to be able to work hard and to go in the right direction and love God and do all of the things that are required of me. But when we make our life about the pursuit of doing the things we begin going in the wrong direction. Paul was telling them, you don't need legalism to live a Christian life. Paul said, bottom line, all we need is in Jesus. That's all we need. Paul begins to then describe the unique legalities or rights and privileges that we receive because of faith. In Jesus. So in Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 25, he says, Now that faith has come, now that Christ has come, now that the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ, has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Now, Paul had set up earlier that he called the law a guardian, basically a guardrail, something to keep us in line while the fullness of time would come when Jesus would come and set all things right and make all things new. He says, we are no longer under a guardian. We no longer need to be managed and kept in line because we can reach full maturity in Christ. 
And Paul's about to build for us an image here that's going to, to really help us to understand what does it mean to be in Christ. He's going to talk about adoption and being part of a family and no longer being under a guardian. See, a guardian in Ro the Roman, Roman world would help prepare a child for maturity. They would help grow them and, and give them all they need. They would tutor them. They would make sure that they knew how to do everything that was required for them to grow into adulthood. And Paul continues, he says, For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. You're all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as, as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Faith in Christ, Paul says, baptizes us into Christ. Baptism, then, is an outward expression which expresses our inward condition of faith in Jesus. Baptism identifies believers in Christ. We are part of the body of Christ. And this is done by the work of the Holy Spirit. Every believer is unified as part of the body. And this isn't just talking about this body here. We're talking about believers everywhere are united because of their belief in Christ. You wonder why we have so much issue between the denominations and the different nuances of faith in the world today. And you think about how one, uh, one Christian denomination will say that the other one is an error, and we continue to have these back and forth uh, just arguments happening. It's because we forgot that the one thing that unifies us is the one thing that Jesus prayed for all of us. He said, Father, I pray that they will be one as you and I are one. We as Christians are unified together as one body global, not one body local. Baptism is a picture then of the inner work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In, a, in essence, we, we basically uh, put on Christ. We, uh, we take off one thing and put on the new thing. In the Roman culture, to, to remove a garment of childhood, to remove these garments of childhood meant that you picked up the toga of adulthood. So we drop, we drop our, our dirty rags, our filthy rags of sin, so to speak. We drop them. And we take on in faith the robes of righteousness of Christ. So when a child in Roman culture would, would come of age, they took off their childhood. He took off his childhood and he laid that down and picked up the toga. He, he would just drop it. And in that moment, you find that he is then in a place of responsibility as an adult in the culture. A believer by faith does not just mean that you're a child of God. I want you to read back. If you have the ESV, it says that we are sons of God. Now, if you have a different translation, it might say that we are children of God. But I want you to take back and understand that, that when Paul says here, sons of God, that's not an offensive or exclusive term. He's talking about something that is very real in the culture, something that's very real to them that they would understand. That 
only a son of the Father will receive the inheritance. That was a cultural thing, right? When he says that you are a son of God, and as an adult, why then would we want to go back to being children? Taking on the full maturity as sons of God. If we could just take on that maturity, it has huge implications in our lives. Because like I said, only adult males can take the inheritance. They're the only ones that could receive the inheritance from their father. No one else could. So if a man grew uh, great wealth and he had no sons to give it to, he could choose to give it to someone else. But if he didn't, then his estate just went away, and it was all for nothing. So men in that culture would want and desire to have a son to pass things down to. So Paul then begins to tease out this implication and tease it out, uh, this humongous claim, with a few quick categories. He says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither Jew nor Greek. Uh, Where you're born what country you come from, whether you live with the people that you were born into, whether you chose the people that you are in right now, your nationality no longer matters. It's no longer recognized because there is neither division of Jew nor Greek, and there is neither slave or free. Your status in the marketplace, your status as free or, or in bonds is no longer relevant. Your status as a worker or an owner no longer separates you from what's coming. And he also says there is no male and female. Now, this is not a a, a call to dissolution of gender. This is a call to say, listen, it does not matter if you are a male or a female. You have a standing, a status with our Heavenly Father that you receive his inheritance doesn't matter anymore. Your status does not change anything about you being a recipient because for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, we don't necessarily see the tremendous impact that this statement had to the world. In fact, we kind of read that and we go, yeah, I think that's pretty true. There's, there's no di- difference. There's no difference between uh, where you lived or where you come from, your, your, the people that you call your own. There's no, there's no really uh, place where your work defines you, and definitely there's no place where your gender excludes you. But when Paul made that statement, he said so many things about the social construct of the time. Because the law had created differences. It had created distinctions. It had made these differences and distinctions between nations and cultures. And, and, and it, it was divisive. But Jesus didn't come to divide. Jesus came to unite. And the Galatians, as they heard Paul tease this out, they kind of get this idea that there's this crazy freedom and there's this new way of life from living just like this. Because slaves were no longer just property. And women, women were elevated. 
the Galatians had a standing before God. It was no longer the Jews saying that we are the only ones. It was that everything had been elevated. There was no distinction, and everyone was in. Everyone gets inheritance. No more division. No more being cast aside. Everyone, everyone is an heir. Now, I, I just got to say that, that we have this idea that we were the ones that said that there was, that, that in our history that we've created these spaces where people finally have a united standing, that they have this, this everyone's in kind of thing. I'll just tell you right now that culture has taken so long to catch up with what was revealed in Christ. We had slavery. We had unequal rights. But now, we finally understand that those were the rights that Jesus gave us from the very beginning. I believe that, that as, a, as a woman, and, and I'm not a woman, but if I were a woman, <laughs> in English fun, as a, as a woman, you should love Jesus because Jesus said you are valuable before culture ever did. Jesus elevated you to a standing of inheritance before there ever was legally. Jesus fought. Jesus died to elevate you. And that's amazing. It says no one gets cast aside. No one gets forgotten in God's kingdom. And he says this, if you are in Christ... If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Through faith, you are heirs to the spiritual blessings God promised to Abraham. You are heirs according to the promise. All of this is, not, is by grace, and it's not by the law. You are an adult son, son in standing in God's family. You get to be the one that receives the inheritance through Christ. So my question for you is, are you drawing on your inheritance? Are you living in such a way that you understand that all the eternal resources of God are placed right before you? They are yours for the taking. The resources of God are right there. Are you living as an heir? Are you living as though you know that everything that your father has is here for you too? Are you living? Are you drawing your inheritance? Are you living transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit? Or are you still trying to work your way into being accepted into the family? Which son are you taking the role of in the prodigal son? Are you the one that thought that God was withholding from them, that the father was withholding from them while you were still there? Or are you the one that squandered everything in, in far-off living, only to come back and say, listen, just make me a slave? When the, when the father said, you have always been and you will always be my son. Have you been living as though you are receiving your inheritance? The only way for us to receive an inheritance is to be adopted by being born again. John 3.3 3 says it this way. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of, of God. Now, this is Jesus talking to Nicodemus, and Jesus is telling, telling him, listen, being born is one thing. You didn't do anything. Being born again means that you accept through faith 
who Jesus is. It means that we're adopted into his family, into the family of God, and we receive all the legal rights and privileges that come from it. So Paul draws it out with an illustration. So if you look at chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, here's what Paul says, the heir. The heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he's under the guardians and managers until the date set by his father. So in the Roman world, the wealthy children, the children of the wealthy, were cared for by slaves. And as long as they were a child, the slave, the servant, supervised them. It went the master, the father, had authority over the servant. The servant had authority over the child. And that's the way that it went until the moment where the date set by the father that everything changed. In the same way, Paul says, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. He said, listen, for generations, as as the people of Israel, the Jews, we've learned the elementary understanding of who God is, how he revealed himself to the world, and how he wants us to pursue his kingdom principles and live with his kingdom in mind. We have these elementary teachings that have gone on from the very beginning all the way till now. And it was all preparation. It was all preparation for revelation in Jesus Christ, the guardian of the law has been released there's no longer a need so we learn that adoption adoption means that we are no longer children in bondage so no matter how wealthy the father was the toddler or the infant could not receive or could not use the inheritance but Paul said when the fullness of time had come when the world was finally ready for the birth of the Savior. And think about that. Why was it that it took so long from from Genesis, you know, when all that stuff happened with Adam and Eve, hundreds of years later to the moment where Jesus comes on the scene? Why did it take so long? One theory is that we had to come along. We had to grow. We had to understand. We had to get to the point as a society where we've created the things that, think about the ease that the Roman world gave for the spread of the gospel. The Roman roads ran everywhere. And it made the the spread of the gospel, the, the peace of Jesus, to be simply easier. But in the fullness of time, when the world was ready, when, when Rome had kind of exhausted its search for religions, right? When the people had thought that they had known all that could be known, in the fullness of time, God sent his son. He, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, thus fulfilling the promise in Genesis 3 that God gave to, to Eve that, that it would come through the woman, the savior of the world. It would come at a time when the world was ready to redeem those who were under the law, to redeem those who were in bondage. Redeem means that you set free by paying a price. Jesus came to set us free so that we can come back into the, into the law, not so that we can come back into the law and then undo what Christ has done, but that we can be set free to live as we are free because Jesus came to set us free. Paul said, that we may receive adoption of sons. 
not brought back home as slaves, but established as sons, as adults, with adults standing before God. All the resources of the kingdom available to us. So adoption means that we are redeemed. Paul says, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. And I want you to think on how the entire Trinity is involved in our spiritual life, involved in this conversation that Paul puts before us, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They're all involved in this action of of creating in us this adoption as sons of God so that we receive the fullness of God, the inheritance of God right now. God sent his Son to die for us, and God's Son sent the Holy Spirit to live inside us. And then he says, God has sent the spirit of his son, crying, Abba, Father. And we may not fully understand, but how many people in your, how many people in your life do you call daddy? How many people in your life do you call papa? Chances are, it's only one. If you married into a good family, there may be two, right? But no slave, no foreigner could ever call out to their master or a stranger and say, Daddy. There's a closeness in this statement. There's a tenderness in this statement. He says, listen, you've been adopted and you can cry out to God, Daddy. Because you are no longer a slave. You're no longer held in bondage. You are no longer held by the law and its penalties. You are free to obey then from the place of love. The law can never produce obedience. The law is always transactional. Only love can produce obedience. You're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. God has made available to us the riches of his grace, the fullness of his goodness, the riches of his glory, the fullness of his wisdom. All of the riches of God are found in Jesus Christ. So adoption means that we are no longer children, but redeemed heirs. And we are heirs to the kingdom today. We are heirs to that kingdom. We are sons of God today. We live right now in a place where God has already given our inheritance. See, in our world, we don't receive an inheritance until that family member is passed. But in that world, that culture, an inheritance came when you became an adult. You were able to take on the riches of your father to start your own life. Adoption means that we have a future. It means that we have been purchased. We have been indwelled. And one day we will be with Jesus in his kingdom, in the kingdom of God. And we're going to close today with this description that Peter gave us. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, here's what he says. And, and I pulled out just a few things, not, not to change any meaning, just because it was a long 
little passage, and here's what I wanted to end with today, that God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance. And this is what you get. This is what you receive through faith in Jesus. You receive an inheritance that is imperishable. That means it, it can never be destroyed. It's undefiled. That means that it's pure and it's unfading. It will never go away. And it's kept in heaven for you, where you belong, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter's telling us, we have received an inheritance that will never go away, and we will receive it in full when Jesus comes and establishes his kingdom in the last days. In that my friends, is something to have faith in.